Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Hey everyone, Pastor Tom here at the Liquid Church office. Now did you know the Bible describes a day when we will put away our earthly bodies and put on our heavenly bodies? So today I'm going around the Liquid Church office asking folks to complete this sentence. In heaven, I hope my body will blank. In heaven, I hope my body will be a little bit taller so I can get rid of all my high heels. Be 10 pounds lighter and there'll be food without calories. Amen. Preach it, sister. I hope my body will be able to see without my contacts. Can you see me now? Just barely. That's probably a good thing. In heaven, I want my body to be thinner, younger, healthier. Oh, like me. In heaven, I hope that my body has hair. I mean, seriously, God, can you move this up here? In heaven, I hope my body will be closer to Derek Jeter. I just want to be a floating head. In heaven, I hope my body will be 50 pounds lighter and I will have long, straight blonde hair. In heaven, our bodies will be tan. In heaven, I hope my body will have more ink. In heaven, I hope my body will be perfectly skinny. It will no longer creak. In heaven, I hope my body will have perfect hair like Tim. In heaven, I hope my body will not look like Justin Bieber. I hope my body won't change a bit. Hey, give him a hand, yeah. What would you change about your body in heaven? Welcome to Liquid, Pastor Tim here. And this is the conclusion of our series. And we're asking that question, hey, uh, what do you hope in heaven your body will be like? What would you change? For me, very easy. I would have a new nose in heaven. I have crazy allergies, and in the spring, it is insane what I have to take just to breathe clearly, okay? Let me show you. I take, you know, I got my, every morning, okay, I got my Allegra, I got my Astapro nose spray, I got my uh, Neris, I got, a, I got an emergency inhaler, I got eye drops, I got pulmonary, I got all this stuff I have to take every morning just so that I don't blow mucus on you, okay? But let me, let me tell you something. What I'm looking forward to is when I step into heaven, I am going to be Claritin clear, baby. It's like that is over. That, that is gone. That is not, by the way, an endorsement of any pharmaceutical company. I just want to be clear about that, okay? But what would it be for you? Uh, you know, pretty much everybody has some physical limitation or disability, right, that you'd want to change in heaven. Maybe you're short or nearsighted. You can't wait for the day where you can you know, pop the contacts out, leave them behind. Maybe it's asthma or, uh, you know, arthritis. Maybe you struggle with your weight. And the battle for the bulge will be over. No carbs in heaven. Amen? Amen. All right. Maybe it's actually more serious. Maybe you struggle with, you know, chronic anxiety or depression. You wake up and you have, you know, worry kind of consumes your mind. The reality is the Bible says one day there will come a moment when you wake up and there's actually no longer fear and sadness and regret, but you will experience perfect peace and joy. Because it has nothing to do with your biochemical levels. The Holy Spirit now has complete control over all of you. That's, I was, I was uh, you know, it's amazing when you think about heaven. I was talking with a friend who's stuck in a wheelchair right now. He does therapy every uh, day in hopes that he can one day walk again. And he's prayed for healing, but it has not come yet. And he said, you know what, Pastor Tim, whether it's in this life 
or the life to come, one day I'm going to be whole and healed. You know what? He's right. That is true. Amen? I am calling today's message Heavenly Bodies. I want to talk about what the Bible says about the resurrection bodies that God has in store for all who believe in his son. Now, just a word of caution. Do not Google the words heavenly bodies, okay? Don't Google that, all right? Trust me on this. Open your Bible instead, okay, to 1 Corinthians 15. This is where the Apostle Paul talks about the doctrine of the resurrection. First, the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about that on Easter. And then his resurrection of of his followers, right? Now that Christ was raised with a glorified body, what kind of body can his followers expect in the life to come? What should we as Christians expect in the afterlife? That's the question that Paul addresses. Starts at verse 35. Look at what he writes. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it what? Unless it dies. So Paul begins by saying, hey, there's actually one simple requirement to get a resurrection body. You got to be dead, okay? You got to die first. First, the bad news. Paul's actually having a little fun here with the Corinthians. That's why he's like, you guys, how foolish. Are you guys idiots? What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies first. And he's picking up on the teaching of Jesus, who in John 12 said this, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? And dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, new growth. See, the Bible's perspective on death is very different than the world. See, for you and I, we're on this side of the door, and we fear death. We do like everything we can. We, don't, you know, we want to be here as long as we can. We try to eat right. We try to exercise because I don't want to die. I want to be here forever. But you know what? If you're a follower of Christ, the Bible says you don't have to fear death. Rather, we are to embrace it because death is just the doorway to the resurrection life that God created you for. He created you for perfection. That's what the Garden of Eden was. Glorified bodies and a glorified creation, and that's where it's going. And so we're not to fear death as followers of Jesus because it's just the relocation of the same person from one place to another. If we didn't die, I want you to think about it, we would be stuck on this broken planet (laughs) in these bodies. I'm looking out here for all eternity. So Paul says, don't fear death. It's just the doorway to new life, a better life. And it has to happen before you can be transformed. Now, before we talk about resurrection, we have to talk about death. But I understand death can be a heavy topic. So I want to lighten it up with kind of a fun story. You may have heard about the wife who goes with her husband to his doctor. And after the checkup, the doctor called uh, the wife into his office alone. And he says, I'm sorry, I have bad news. Your husband is under a lot of stress. He is having heart trouble. And he's going to die if you don't do the following things. Every morning, you need to fix him a healthy breakfast, big breakfast. Be pleasant at all times around your husband, okay? For lunch, you need to make him a nutritious meal. Don't burden him with any chores. Don't ask him to do anything around the house. Just let him rest. Don't nag him. And certainly don't tell him your problems because it'll only make his stress worse. And most importantly, I want you to make love to your husband several times a week, okay? If you can do that for about a year, he will recover fully. So on the way home, the husband asks his wife, you know, what the doctors say? And she looks at him and says, he said you're going to (laughs) die. Yeah, you're gone. You're gone, man, right? You know what? We're all going to die, right? And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. If you're a Christian, you've put your faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is the doorway 
to new life. And you know what? It says a seed doesn't live unless it goes in the ground and is buried. Same thing with our physical bodies, Paul says. And then he gives us this example. Look what he says. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a what? A seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he has gives its own body. So Paul compares our physical body on earth to seeds. It's interesting. Last month when my father died, people sent us, our family, condolence gifts, beautiful flower arrangements, sympathy cards, you know, bouquets. But my favorite gift by far was something unexpected. It's called a year of seeds. This box arrived in the mail of our home. It's called a year of seeds. And you can see there are 12 vases here filled with 12 packets of seeds. And the idea is, is that every month in honor of the person who's passed in your family, you plant the seeds in the ground. And so for a full year, you're reminded every year, every month of their new life. So if you look here, you've got zinnias, poppies, you know, marigolds, petunias, 12 months of seeds for 12 years of kind of, you know, new life. And this, this is very, isn't that cool? Is that the creative, like, condolence gift? So actually, we're, our kids, we're going to kind of plant some of these with grandma, who's a widow now. And for a year, it's going to remind us of my father's new life in heaven. Now, I don't know if the creator of this, you know, you know condolence uh, gift had 1 Corinthians in mind, but this is what Paul's getting at. When a seed goes in the ground, what, what, do, what do you do, right? What do you do? You bury a seed in the earth. For instance, here's, here's a sunflower seed. Nothing special. Look at a seed close up, right? Sunflower seed. But once it dies, you put it in the ground. A little water, a little sun, voila! Magnificent, incredible bloom. Something small and brown, about a half inch or so, becomes something green and tall. They can grow up to five feet, bursting with color and beauty. In other words, what comes out of the ground after it's sown in death looks radically different, doesn't it? Same with our physical bodies. Paul said the seed, that the shell that you're in right now is just a seed. And when it goes in the ground, when it's buried, when Christ raises it out of the ground, it's going to be radically different. It will be transformed like nothing you've ever seen. How will it be different, you're saying? Paul lists four ways here in 1 Corinthians. If you're taking notes, the first thing Paul says is that our heavenly bodies will be indestructible. Can you say indestructible? Look at verse 42. It says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that's sown or buried is perishable. It is raised what? Imperishable. That means indestructible. In other words, your body will no longer be subject to disease, decay, or destruction. Our heavenly bodies will be perfect. Now, I'm looking around, just taking a quick survey. There, there are actually no perfect bodies in this room, okay? There's only one perfect body in the history of humanity, and that is the body of Jesus Christ. Our current bodies right now here are imperfect, okay? Some more than others, all right, as I'm taking a look around. We don't like that, but our earthly bodies, they get tired, they get old, they eventually wear out. And we, I understand we take great pains to avoid this, right? We do Pilates, Zumba, some of you do hot yoga, I don't even know what that is. Uh, you know, we take spin classes, we do crunches, we do marathon running. I got news for you, you ain't going to outrun this, okay? You eventually going in the ground. And the older you get, the more evidence you see of things breaking down. I remember when I turned 35, when I first noticed, I'm like, what, what is going on here? My metabolism doesn't work like it used to in college. In college, we used to go out to Taco Bell at like 2 a.m. in the morning. We'd go crazy, gorditas, you know, and then we would go to Denny's for a Grand Slam breakfast, you know. It was like no problem in college, man. I was fit as a fiddle. 
Suddenly, I turn 35, we got a couple of kids, there's McNuggets everywhere, and I'm like, what the? I'm like 20 pounds overweight, and I was like, I had a heavenly body, and Colleen's like, where'd it go? You know, and, and both Colleen and I were like, you know, we got to start exercising. So I tried running, because a friend of mine is like, no, dude, I'm a jogger, you got to run. First off, how many runners here? Any runners? You're, you're joggers? Okay, they're all liars, okay? Because my, my friend, because I'm like, does this look like it's built for speed? And he's like, no, man, you'll experience a runner's high. I'm like, I don't know what a runner's high is, so I started running, and I'm like, well, if it means puking on yourself and collapsing, I was stoned, okay? I was like crazy, all right? So I joined a gym. Yes, I belong to a gym now. Let me, actually, let me rephrase that. I don't belong there, <laughs> but I go, and I remember my first day I get there, like everything's changed, all the, like the new machines and everything, and like, I'm like, oh, everything was taken, all the machines are taken. So I go to this one corner where nobody else is, and I get into this contraption, I'm like, I don't even know what to do. So, like, I'm sticking my legs in there and, you know, hoisting. So I just start lifting bars and moving stuff around. And this guy comes over and he's like, hey, buddy, uh, you mind getting out of the painting scaffolding? That would be great, you know, kind of thing. So they give me this trainer and, uh, and, and the dude's like, dude, the most important thing, you can't eat late at night or you'll get fat. And I'm like, forget that, you're supposed to eat late at night. He's like, no, you're not. I was like, why do you think they put that little light in the refrigerator, man? Use your head, muscle man. At this point, I'm like, I don't feel the need to get in shape, you know? It's like, who needs a six-pack when you got a party ball, right? Kind of that kind of, right? Yeah. Amen. Hey, that's life on this present planet, right? It's depressing. Our bodies wear out. Things break down. Stuff that was once tight now kind of hangs loose. I understand, you know, we can, so we do our best to slow it down or camouflage it, right? Botox, collagen, little lifestyle lift, right? But you can't stop it. That's the bad news. The body sown on this side of eternity is perishable, according to Paul. It's subject to decay, to disease, and ultimately death. But here's the good news. Because Jesus Christ was raised to an indestructible life, so will you if you trust in him. The body that's sown is perishable, it's raised imperishable, means it will last forever. Our heavenly body will not age, it will not wear out, get sick, break down, there's no gym memberships in heaven, okay? They will be perfect in every way, indestructible. Now, what exactly will that look like? Again, popular culture depicts people in heaven as with wings, floating around, you know, like these ghosts or, or you know, they've got, they've got a robe on and they're these kind of disembodied spirits. That's not true. That's the movies. The Bible makes it very clear that you and I will have physical bodies that are earthy and identifiable as Jesus' body was. That's the second thing that Paul teaches. Our heavenly bodies will be identifiable. People always say, well, will, will I recognize my loved ones? Yes, you will identify them. They will recognize you as well. Look what Paul writes here in verse 43. The body's sown in dishonor. It says it's raised in glory. And glory means brilliance, okay? Now, I don't know if we're going to have like a brilliant glow, you know, like Moses did or something. But most likely, this means that our bodies will reflect the brilliance or glory of Jesus' resurrected body. In Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he gives us a sense of what he's talking about. He writes this, look, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, watch this, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will what? Transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his what? Glorious body. In other words, your body will have the same properties 
that Jesus' resurrected body have after he was raised from the dead? So the question is, well, what was Jesus' body like on earth? Actually, we can answer that. After Jesus was raised from the dead, did you know a lot of people think he went straight to heaven? He was actually, there was a 40-day period that he was on earth where he showed himself to his disciples and about 500 other, other believers. Did you know that? And during those 40 days between his resurrection and then his ascension, his return to heaven, the gospel gives us several glimpses of Jesus' glorified body. Christ's body was first physical. Jesus said his body was real. Flesh and bone are the words that he used. In fact, he went out of the way to prove this to his disciples. In Luke 24, it says this, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw what? They saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them what? His hands and feet. In other words, Jesus intentionally went out of his way to prove to his disciples that his body was real. It was physical. It was flesh and bone, material body, not some disembodied spirit or ghostly apparition. Our resurrected bodies will be material, physical bodies, as real as they are in earth. In fact, more real than that, enhanced to a degree we've never experienced. But we were created for. At the end of uh, last week's service, Someone came up to me and said, hey, Pastor Tim, I got a question. Will we eat in heaven? Are we going to eat in heaven? That's a common question that uh, Italian people ask me. <laughs> and because um, right, it makes sense. People often wonder, hey, if I got a physical body in heaven, will we do physical stuff like eat and drink? And I said, of course, you know, only angels food, <laughs> you know, cake, no deviled eggs. Uh, but again, as Christ followers, I'll be here all week. Uh, you know, as Christ followers, we don't actually have to guess. You just go back to the model of Jesus. And you say, well, what did Jesus do in his glorified body? According to Luke 24, Jesus Christ ate food. Look at this, look at this. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, Jesus asked them, hey, you guys got anything here to eat? <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and did what? He ate it in their presence. And I think this is kind of a playful side of Jesus, right? I mean, the guy literally is raised from the dead, and the first thing he says is he's like, I'm hungry. You guys got anything to eat? <laughs> you know, maybe some fish tacos, tilapia, salmon. I'm not picky. You know, it's just what Jesus is doing is proving a point. In heaven, we will have physical bodies and eat physical food. But here's a difference. Down here, why do we eat? We eat for what? Survival, for nourishment, to stay alive. But in heaven, we will eat for pleasure. For, not for necessity. Yes, Amen. No carbs, can you say amen? <laughs> no calories, amen? No diets, amen. It will be like the Garden of Eden where God said, I give you every good thing for your food, for your enjoyment. Eat in at the banquet table of the king with no negative side effects. Can you imagine just eating for pleasure? It's funny, every Monday we have a pastor's meeting, uh, kind of review the weekend, and last week somebody brought in a, a, a pan of crumb cake and left it in the middle of the table with a bottle of syrup for our pastors. And I could always tell which pastor's like on a special diet or something. You know, Pastor Peter uh, in Nutley, he's drinking water out of a mason jar. You know, he's all fit and hydrated. And he's like, oh, no thanks, no thanks, you know. And one of the other pastors who shall remain nameless, 
says, uh, you know, dude, oh, my wife's got me on this low-carb diet, you know, and he's like, I got to be good. And then he goes like this. He leans over the crumb cake and goes, <laughs> it's like he's licking the air. He just wants to get the taste on his you know, tongue. And then it was hilarious because the youngest pastor on our staff, who I will not name, said, well, I got no problems, y'all. And he cuts himself this huge slice and pours maple syrup on it. He says, I am waiting for my glorified body. Praise Jesus. And he just starts eating. And I'm like, man, yeah, to be in your 20s or 30s, you just you wait, okay? In heaven, no one will wait. You can have seconds because you will have none of the limitations that plague us on earth. There's no food allergies. There's no acid reflux. <laughs> no lactose intolerance. You don't have to eat gluten-free or what I call taste-free food. Scripture says we'll eat at the banquet table of God, freely without limit as God originally intended us. Heaven is real. Jesus' body was real. He ate real food. And his resurrected body, mark this, was limitless. It was limitless. Again, the Gospels record that Jesus' resurrected body no longer had physical limitations. In John 20, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were what? The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, look, I don't know about you, but whenever somebody enters a room without using the door, okay, there's a freak out factor. There's a reason that whenever Jesus appears in his resurrection body, he's like, don't freak out. Peace be with you. Don't fear. Because our bodies on heaven, while physical and real, will lack none of the limitations. They will not have the limitations that we experience on earth. On earth, we are bound by the laws of gravity, the laws of time, the laws of space. I mean, you can be like, man, I would love to be like Jesus. I'm, I'm his follower, you know? Yeah, okay. You go ahead and try to walk through a locked door, right? It's kind of like, that's not going to work here on earth. But our resurrection body in heaven will be just like Jesus's. I will, evidently, that means we will have the ability to travel, perhaps to be present in a place just by thinking about it. We don't know exactly how that will work. Remember last week we talked about the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. It was so huge, the size of it. 1.2 billion miles of living space on the ground floor, and there are 600,000 floors. Someone came up to me and said, are there elevators in this place? You won't need them, okay? How will you get around? Our heavenly bodies will be limitless like Jesus, not bound by physical constraints of this world, but capable of moving and appearing without limit. Jesus wasn't constrained and neither will we. At the same time, Notice that Jesus' body could be touched. That's significant. The reason Jesus appeared to his disciples behind closed doors was to prove how real he was to Thomas, who was doubting his resurrection. Look at the verse. It says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it where? Into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Let me show you one of my favorite paintings of all time. This is called The Incredulity of of St. Thomas by Caravaggio. And in the Italian master's painting, look at the surprise on Thomas's face as Jesus holds his hand and guides it into the wound in his side. Because that's Thomas said, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe it. And Jesus is like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> his resurrected body, while limitless, notice, bore the wounds of crucifixion. That's significant. You know why? It's part of his glory. Those are glory marks. They are, will always remind us of the depth of Jesus' love and sacrifice. He's saying the Lord was willing to lay down his life for Thomas, for you, for me. 
And do you know what Thomas's reaction was? My Lord and what? My God. Oh my God, you are God. This is not our OMG. This is a confession of Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator. He is the Lord. And you know what Jesus told Thomas? Because you've seen me, you have believed. But let's read this together, church. Let's read this. Big, loud voice. Ready? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe that? You're more blessed than the disciples. The early followers of Christ touched Jesus. They, they recognized his resurrected body and they confessed him, my Lord and my God. But many of you have said, you know what, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my God over the last couple weeks. Last Sunday, we had another two dozen men and women make the decision to trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. That is over 200 people since Easter. That is so exciting. You know why? Because this is your future. This is now your future guaranteed by God. And as a Christ follower, it's important that you make the same confession that Thomas makes publicly. Thomas was like, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And next Sunday, you're going to witness people do that as we have our spring baptism service at your campus. You're going to hear dozens of people publicly tell about their decision to invite Jesus Christ into their heart. To say, I actually believe that Jesus didn't just hang on the cross generically. That was for me. That was for my sin. He forgave my sin and he was raised for my eternal life. You ever wonder why scripture commands Christians to be baptized? It's actually a very relevant symbol. The idea is when you go under the water, it's like you're being buried. You're identifying with Jesus. I'm being buried like him. I leave my sins down there. I'm raised to new life, washed clean of my sins like his resurrected life. It is a symbol of identifying with Jesus' death and his resurrection. So you're just publicly declaring that I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for my salvation. So let me be very clear on this. If you are a Christian, but you haven't been baptized yet, you need to take this next step as a believer. It's important. Jesus himself was baptized, and Scripture makes this command. It says, repent. That just means turn from your sin. Leave it behind. And be baptized, every one of you. Some of you, a few of you, how many? Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? The forgiveness of your sins. You need to be baptized? If you haven't been baptized yet, we have made this so simple for you. At the end of today's service, just go to the lobby in your campus. We have a baptism booth. We're going to give you a bag. We can sign you up for this. Next Sunday, we're having baptisms. You will give you invitations for your family, for your friends. And when they come, we're going to celebrate this. Don't be nervous about this. This is a very natural step in your faith. If you're trusting Jesus Christ for salvation, your resurrection body will be indestructible. It will be identifiable, and lastly, Paul says, it will be invulnerable. Look at Paul in verse 43. It says, it's sown in weakness. It's raised in what? What's the word here? Power. Baptism is a symbol of the life of power that is waiting for us in heaven. It's funny, in the final days of my dad's life, it was striking to me how weak his physical body had become. For most of my dad's life, he was probably 230 pounds. He was a strapping man, strong, powerful. For 29 years, he never took a sick day off from work. But this is him two days before the end of his cancer battle on earth. And you can see he's a shell of his former self. And I was so struck by that. We used to call my dad the rock. He had no strength. He was drained of his power, and his body was so weak. In fact, this was the only way he could stand. I brought this today to show you. This is my dad's walker. By the end of his life, 
all he could do, my brother and I would get up underneath him, is barely stand. Let me tell you something. Because my dad trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, what I know is that the moment he took his last breath on this earth and closed his eyes and crossed through the door to heaven, he was raised in power. What is it like to be raised in power? There are many things we will not see in heaven. In heaven, there are no wheelchairs. In heaven, no walkers. Heaven will not be ADA compliant. There's no ICUs, there's no hospitals, there's no oncology units, there's no cancer wards, there's no ERs. Doctors out of a job. You will experience the incorruptible life in an invulnerable body that you were designed for. I want you to think about what that means. For those of you with a physical limitation or you're living with a disability right now on this earth or you love somebody who does, just think what it means to be raised in power. I often think of how paraplegics or those with MS or cerebral palsy who've only known chronic pain and struggle on this side of eternity will experience their heavenly body. You think there's going to be rejoicing in heaven? They will run. They will jump for joy. In our last service, we had Chris Ken, who comes here every week, and he sits in that wheelchair, and he shouts out sometimes, and he was just going, bananas, bananas, because Chris is going to be at the front of the line, amen? amen? That's the truth. That's the truth. That's his reality. That's the greatest hope you could have. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who some of you know is a well-known author, activist for the disabled community. As a teenager, she was very active, enjoyed riding horses, hiking, and swimming. But one summer, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, misjudged the shallowness of the water. She fractured the fourth and fifth cervical levels and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And during her two years of rehabilitation, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, doubts about her faith in God. However, Johnny is incredible. She learned to paint with a brush between her teeth and began selling her artwork. It sells for thousands of dollars. It's stunning. What do you think the promise of a heavenly body means to somebody like Johnny Erickson? Listen to the words she wrote in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who's cerebral palsy, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and new minds. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. We have hope, amen? God is going to give you a resurrection body that was earned by Jesus Christ. So that means no matter what you suffer through on this earth, it's nothing compared to the glory that awaits you in heaven. Remember this, guys. We are here 70, 80, 90 years. Life's a vapor. And then your real life begins. Real life. Eternal life. Forever and ever and forever after that. And it's going to look a lot different than this earth, thank God. 
There are things you're, you, you, no, no um, you know, tumors, no diabetes, no Down syndrome, no bipolar disorder, no depression, no pills. Sorry, Pfizer, Merck, you are out of business, man. No drug dealers in heaven. We don't need them. There are no special needs. You know we have a heart for children with special needs. In heaven, there's no autism. There's no Asperger's. Those who can't talk right now will. Do you know what that means to a parent whose child is nonverbal? They can't express themselves right now on earth because of a mental or an emotional limitation. And to hear their child speak for the first time and express their love for them and their father in heaven, you think that's joy? Rejoicing. Why are we worshiping in heaven? Because all the rights and the wrongs that the curse brought are whole and healed and restored, and they make sense. In fact, let me just address this issue of children head on. I often get the question, Tim, what about babies? What about children who die before the age of accountability, before they can intellectually understand what Jesus did? How about the mentally handicapped? Let me be very clear about this scripturally. Concerning the unborn children who are, you know, if they've been lost through miscarriage or even abortion, we have it on the authority of Scripture that a child is a person from the moment of conception. God knit and formed them together in their mother's womb. Whether they planned it or not, God planned it, their father. And based on that truth, all unborn children who die, for whatever reason, will be taken directly to heaven by their father. In the Old Testament, when King David's son died days after he was born, Days after, and David grieved. David said this, he will not return to me, but one day I will go to him. So those of you who have lost little ones, you've trusted in Christ, I want you to understand, one day you will see your child again. Our Father has compassion for children. Scripture says, I don't want even one of them to perish. In fact, Jesus said, you adults, you must become like a little child if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven. You think that will be a beautiful reunion for families fractured by loss? Suddenly, the promise of Revelation 21 will finally make sense, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has what? It's passed away. In other words, death itself has died. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus Christ, said, I'm making everything what? New. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you believe that truth? Is that your hope? That's my hope. We're staking everything on this. That heaven is for real. That hope is for real. And your heavenly reunion with Christ will one day be real too. What a reunion that'll be. You know, someone said to me at the end of the last service, they said, you know, Tim, I didn't know your dad. But he sounds like a wonderful man, and I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> they lost a parent this year, too. And I said, man, I, I look forward to introducing you <laughs> in heaven. Listen, listen. I, I want to end my heart to yours. Understand something. Everybody who, in this room, you're listening, Nutley, Mountainside, New Brunswick, listen. You're listening online. 100 years from now, 100 years from today, we will all be gone from this earth. Everyone gone. Not one person listening to my voice now left. And the decision that you make now about Jesus will determine your destiny forever. Getting into heaven 
is not a matter of wishful, hopeful thinking or doing enough good works to prove I'm a good person. None of us are good. There was only one good, sinless man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. The one who died for your sins says, give me your sin, and I'm going to give you eternal life. But you have to trust me and say, I am the Lord. I am your God and Savior. It's funny, the older I get, it's like the more focused my life's mission becomes. <laughs> At this point, I have, I have young kids. Uh, like any parent, I hope to live a long life. But you know what I hope even more? I hope to take as many of you with me to heaven as I can. Because that's where Christ is. That's where your life is. That's where your eternity is going to be. And that's really what my life has become about. I don't want any of you to miss what God has planned for you. I am like glad that life on this earth is not all there is. Amen? I'll tell you something. This week, we prayed for a lot of hurting people at all of our campuses. We had a greeting team leader who went in for routine surgery last week. He was going in for gallbladder surgery. Uh, he had some internal bleeding. Then we got word he went to the ICU. And he literally was just put on life support. You would recognize him. He shook your hand and welcomed you into this church two weeks ago. We prayed for a six-year-old boy who's on his second heart surgery this week. He's not out of the woods yet. In this world, there is a lot of pain and heartache. But one day, when Jesus returns from heaven to claim his children, every drop of suffering will be redeemed. Amen? The curse will be broken, and you will finally experience the love and perfection that God created you for. So as we come to the end of this series, let me ask one more time. Have you made your reservation for heaven? Can you point to that moment where, like Thomas, you put aside your doubts and you said, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Be my God. Come into my heart. Jesus said, I don't want, I want to take the guesswork out. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Through me. Do you believe that? You were created for a place and a person. Heaven is the place. Jesus is the person and he's the only path there. So remember, you can still be a follower of Christ and have questions like Thomas did, but you just got to ask Jesus in faith, reveal yourself to me. That's what Thomas did. He said, show me yourself. And when Jesus did, he said, my Lord and my God, I believe. And he followed Christ the rest of his days. And so that's what I want to give you a chance to do right now. Some of you who have been waiting, and you, you have some doubts and questions, and you're like, well, i got to get all those answers. You do not. Now, today is the day of your salvation. I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer of salvation right now. This is going to be a powerful moment for some of you. We've, we've been praying behind your back all week. <laughs> And, and you know what's just happening? What's happening in this church? We're revealing Jesus, and the Father's drawing people to his Son. That's what happens. That's the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do. At all of our campuses, I want to pray first right now for those of you who are going to pray this prayer of salvation, that the Holy Spirit gives you the courage to pray right now. This is your moment of salvation, all right? So all our campuses, would you just bow your heads? If you are a believer, just pray with me. Pray with me. In fact, let's say these words out loud. Church, ready? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Praise God. Father God, thank you so much for your love. You created us. Lord, our parents may not have planned us, but you did. 
Everyone here today was made and created in your image on purpose with a destiny in your great heaven. Thank you for Jesus. We invite the Holy Spirit right now just to flood this place, every campus right now, Father God. Would you stir up, give courage to the men and women who are going to make decisions to follow Jesus Christ right now. This is going to be actually a natural moment for them to say, I'm following Christ. He's my Lord. He's my God. Again, with all heads bowed, if that's you today, praise God, people are already holding up their hands. Would you raise your hand if you'd like to pray that prayer? You want to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Just raise your hand. Thank God for you. Praise God. Awesome. I see you right there. Welcome, sweetheart. It's going to be amazing. Just raise your hand. God bless you, sir. Praise God. Holy Spirit moment. Awesome. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you sell this question of salvation today. You can just pray with me. These are not magic words. Just pray it from your heart. Talk to your Father. Say, my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven. Come into my heart. Jesus, I believe you died for me. And so I want to live for you. Take all of my sin. I turn from it now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I will follow you all of my days. I'll follow you all of my days. Father God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will flood the hearts, the minds, and the bodies of everyone who is praying right now. Assure them of their salvation. Let them know they've been born again. Fill them now with your Holy Spirit, Father God. The old is gone. The new has come. We ask all of that in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen. Would you give them a hand? Praise God for you. We welcome you to the family of God. This is your eternal home. Welcome to our church. Excited for you. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.